Welcome to Capital Conversations, the ERLC's podcast from Washington, D.C., where we help Christians imagine a new way to engage in the public square. I'm your host, Chelsea Soblick. Our conversations cover the policy debates and news shaping our world as we aim to connect our Christian theological motivations to political engagement in Washington. My hope for this podcast is that these conversations would foster a new way for Christians to engage in the public square. On today's episode of Capital Conversations, I'm joined by Rick Morton. As Vice President of Engagement, Rick Morton shapes the Lifeline Children's Services outreach to individual, church, and organizational ministry partners, as well as the ministry's commitment to publishing resources that aid families and churches in discipling orphans and vulnerable children. Holding both a doctorate of philosophy and master's of arts degrees in Christian education from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, Rick taught on the faculty of his alma mater, as well as the faculties of Bryan College and the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He also served local churches in Tennessee, Louisiana, and Mississippi. He is an accomplished writer and sought-after speaker. Most notably, Rick is the co-author of the popular book, Orphanology, Awakening to the Gospel-Centered Adoption in Orphan Care, and the author of Known Orphans, Mobilizing the Church for Global Orphanology. Rick and his lovely wife, Denise, have been married for over 26 years, and they have three children, all of whom join their family through international adoption from Ukraine. And now let's join our conversation with Dr. Rick. Dr. Rick, thank you so much for joining us today on Capital Conversations. Chelsea, Thank you so much. It's so good to be with you, friend. Well, before we dive in and um, I, I ask you some questions about about this topic, um, I, I just want listeners to know that I am such big fans of Lifeline. You guys are great ERLC partners. Um, my husband and I are adopting through you guys right now. and We are big, big fans of what you guys are doing at Lifeline. Well, that's mutual. And uh, you're you're one of our favorite people. So it's fun to have an opportunity to be able to sit down with you today and spend a little bit of time. Well, Dr. Rick, I know that this topic of uh, Ukraine is extremely personal for you. You are an adoptive father of three children from Ukraine. Um, So I just want to thank you for your service in your ministry, both with Ukraine and at Lifeline. Um, So before we dive into Kind of the current situation um, in Ukraine, and you know, we have to give the caveat that by the time this episode is released, things will probably uh, have changed in, on the ground. But before we we dive in, um, I just want to ask you how you first became involved in the work of caring for orphans and vulnerable children. Yeah, so um, you know, Chelsea, our our story is that I was a was a seminary professor, was actually teaching at Southern Seminary in Louisville, and uh, had been a youth pastor and, you know, worked with students most of my ministry career to that point. And at a point, the Lord began to first deal with my wife about the idea of adopting. I clearly remember, you know, the first time she mentioned it over dinner and I said unequivocally no. And, you know, just uh, sort of had that mindset that, you know, like I've seen those crazy stories on Dateline and places and that that was kind of a complicated thing and something that, you know, I really didn't have a, a frame of reference for. And But then she didn't play fair. So as opposed to, you know, trying to be vocal or trying to coerce or, you know, whatever, she prayed. 
and just kind of modeled the persistent widow and smart and her, woman. Yeah, and that's that's the story of so many decisions in our marriage. To be you know bluntly honest, and and so she really um, just you know sought the Lord and said you know God, if you put this in my heart, then you know my uh, my obstinate husband is really no challenge for you. So so she said either change my heart or change his. And my you know my story, my testimony is that the Lord changed my heart profoundly. I I'm a nerd. Uh, and so when it, it came to, I, I was never, I didn't question whether adoption was a good thing. I think what I, what I questioned was, is it a gospel thing? And not having been, you know, raised around adoption and certainly never having adoption and orphan care framed for me in my upbringing or my schooling in terms of the gospel, I eventually found my way into the, into the scriptures. And, you know, and I knew, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like I didn't know the narrative about you know, caring for orphans and caring for the vulnerable, but kind of taking a real chronological look at the scriptures and understanding God's unfolding presentation of himself and the reasons that we care for orphans was, it was transformative. And, you know, understanding that, that when we adopt, when we care for the fatherless, we're we're putting the character of God on display, but we're we're truly pointing squarely toward the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. And so understanding that on some level, like gave, I guess, enough confidence to risk. And then the story of how we got to Ukraine is quite honestly just a story of God's providence. We I I, I went to public school in, you know, in the eighties. Ukraine didn't exist for much of my, you know, much of my schooling, honestly. And I joke that I, you know, I don't know that I could find, I could have found Ukraine on a map. But the truth is that as we began to have an openness to adopt, the Lord just kept putting Ukraine in our path. And it seemed like everywhere we turned, whatever we tried to do, wherever we tried to go, that this little bitty Eastern European country that we really didn't know a ton about, that, you know, is roughly the size of the state of Texas, grew in an immense portion to us. And so we, uh, in 2003, uh, began to pursue an adoption from Ukraine. We brought our son Eric home at 18 months old in 2004. And, you know, I, I like, I, I'm overcome with emotion even thinking about that because that was, a, that was the beginning of an incredible journey. I've now, we, as you said, we have, we have three children all that have come home from Ukraine. I've been to Ukraine 26 times in the last 20 years and have have taught and trained church planners and worked alongside church planners in Ukraine, have, have worked in orphan care circles. And the people of Ukraine are so dear to me. And so I, you know, I, I like, I have to confess, I'm sorry. I like, I I didn't, I didn't think I was going to be this emotional talking to you. Um, I guess I just feel like it's a safe place because I'm talking to a friend, but this conflict has been incredibly challenging for our family and and for us personally. And uh, there are many people that we desperately love that are in harm's way. And so um, I'm glad to talk about this because I believe that the Lord can use the church in powerful ways. And and I believe in the midst of what is a really crazy, you know, geopolitical circumstance right now that, that this is an opportunity for, for the church in Ukraine to shine, but also for the body of Christ around the world to rally to the not only the aid of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, but but also toward those who you know who don't know Jesus that are in the midst of this conflict. I I don't think I realized that you had been there so many times. My goodness, I'm 
I'm sure it's so, so close. And um, I've shared this on, on social media a little bit, but I was born in Romania. I have four adopted siblings from Russia and an adopted sibling from Ukraine. And so it, that region of the world is very dear to my heart as well. And it's, I've spent a lot of time in prayer for that region. So let's, let's unpack, you know, we, we are seeing unimaginable pictures coming out of Ukraine and hearing these stories, but how does this war uh, specifically impact orphans, vulnerable children, and families who are in the process of adopting? Yeah, so it, it's been a huge interruption for families that are pursuing adoption. At Lifeline, we actually have, we had a family on the Thursday that the war broke out who was supposed to be having their virtual court hearing. So um, because of COVID, things have changed a little bit. And, and so their, their court hearing, they were not required to be in country that could be adjudicated with them here in the U.S. And so they were supposed to have their court hearing and it was postponed or canceled about two hours before the hearing because there was active shelling in the city where the, the trial was to happen. And so um, the judge and our facilitator and a whole bunch of other people spent 12 hours in an underground bomb shelter, sheltering in from, from the attack. And I think, you know, that's part of the immediacy of it. There also is the challenge that Ukraine is trying to figure out ways at this point to protect children that are in state care. And so there's an upheaval of whole orphanages of children needing to be moved and evacuated. There was not a plan for that. There was no, you know, national strategy that they had in place that allowed them to be able to do that in a in an orderly fashion. It's not anything that anybody ever imagined that they would have to do. And so there's a it's a bit chaotic at this point on the ground. Private Christian orphanages, many of them uh, got out quickly. And you know, we know of situations as far you know as far away as Germany where orphanages have have fled and have been taken in by whole communities and provided for in in ways that are pretty incredible but so essentially everything about the adoption process at this point has you know kind of slowed to a halt in you know just trying to to deal with the the immediacy of things uh, as far as we know right now we've we've had it affirmed that families that are in process continue to be in process and there are there are mechanisms that we expect that there will there will be children that will be able to come home even now, even in you know in the midst of all of this. I think you know Chelsea, you mentioned your your siblings from you know from Russia and and I think our greatest fear in all of this is as Russia continues to occupy territory, the prospect of international adoption will end for children that are in Russian occupied territory. Because President Putin has chosen to use child welfare as a bargaining chip, children that are coming, you know, like international adoption has been, been halted from Russia. Um, more than that, it, it presents a murky future for those of us that have been engaged in ministry into those places. So we, we likely will not have access to be able to partner with, to support foster families adoptive families within the country or uh, in in work with orphanages. And so there's some there's some pretty large scale ramifications of this. And we don't have to wonder how this is going to turn out from a, you know, from a political perspective, because Crimea completely shows us what the plan is. And when 
an area is is taken over, you know, by Russia and and occupied, it's going to completely come under Russian rule, which means completely being cut off from the West with regard to any sort of cooperation or support in child welfare. So to to drill down a little bit, Crimea used to do intercountry adoptions, correct? Absolutely. And then when Russia invaded and took over, they closed down, correct? Yeah. So our our daughter who came home at fourteen, she's now twenty five. She's from Sevastopol, and so actually our last adoption from Ukraine was was done in Crimea. And Promise One Thirty Nine that Denise and I helped found that uh, an orphan hosting program where we used to bring kids from Ukraine to the U.S. for um, trips during, you know, like summer break and Christmas and, and those sorts of things to bring them to camp and, and really just to bring them and expose them to the gospel. That partnership was completely cut off. When Russia occupied Crimea, there's no exchange program. There's no ability to get visas. We can't get access to go in to see them and they don't have access to come out to see us. And, uh, and so literally we've been, you know, we've been completely cut off from having any sort of presence there. So I know in times of conflict, I, I've certainly seen this happening now with the the situation in Ukraine and then also with Afghanistan. You know, so many people kind of their and this is such a good desire, but their kind of immediate desire is, you know, can we adopt these children? How can we how can we help? And can you kind of walk us through, you know, folks who that is their immediate, and, and again, it's a good desire to care for vulnerable children. But maybe some of the the policies that are in place that protect children from you know potential trafficking or potential harm in the midst of conflict. Sure. Well, first of all, you, you're correct in the implication of your question that this is a circumstance that brings the potential for child victimization to an extremely high level. And so the policies that exist around international adoption, the Hague Convention that the United States has has signed on and is a party to, it's a bureaucratic solution to a very real problem. And the very real problem is that wherever there are vulnerable children or vulnerable people, there are going to be bad actors that are going to be present that are trying to leverage that vulnerability for their own benefit and ultimately for economic gain. And so the central provision of the Hague Convention is to try to blunt the effect of child trafficking. I think orphans, it stands to reason, are the most susceptible people on the planet to child trafficking and, and or to victimization in general through slavery and trafficking. Why? Because when they go missing, very often there's no one to go look for them. And, and so they don't have the deep social ties, nobody pursuing after them, and so they're seen as easy targets. In the chaos and confusion that we see around a conflict like this, that only grows and that that vulnerability only, you know, only increases. And so I, I think that part of what we what we have a responsibility to do is to do everything we can to help, uh, but to do it in ways that are responsible, that are ultimately reflective of of a people who are willing to do things that are legal and above board and, and excellent in order to protect the, you know, the interest of children. I think you didn't exactly ask this, but I'm going to, I'm going to kind of go into a little bit of a, so one of the things I think about Ukraine, there has been a strong adoption and foster care culture that has grown within the church in Ukraine over the last 15 years. And so where 20 years ago, we stepped into an environment where, there were orphanages that were full of 
babies and toddlers and, you know, children that were reasonably healthy from, you know, really kind of uncomplicated situations, that's not really the profile of the adoptable children in Ukraine today. Most of the children that are available for international adoption are older. They're part of large sibling groups. They have uh, some, you know, generally some significant special needs, um, like kind of fit into one of those three categories. And and they're among what we would kind of look at as being the the hardest to place children. And the reason for that is because because many of those children that are that are easier to place are finding homes or were finding homes within Ukraine. And so the the story of really I, I mean I it, it's this is really a you know kind of a crazy thing that happened. But the day that the conflict broke out, you know how Facebook gives you those memories of things that it pops up. Well, the thing that came up as a memory on that day was I, I saw that I actually had been in Ukraine 10 years to the day as as the day of the, the conflict beginning, speaking to a group of Ukrainian pastors. There were about 600 pastors from Ukraine and around Eastern Europe. And it was the day that, that actually orphanology came out for the first time in Russian. And so, but that conference was pastors coming from all over Eastern Europe, but primarily Ukraine, all of whom were coming to learn how their churches could be involved in caring for orphan and vulnerable children. And what came from that was literally thousands of families who began to foster and began to adopt so that Ukrainian children were being brought into Ukrainian believing homes. Part of the great regret of this war is that system is shattered at this point. And the hope for Ukrainian children to be cared for by Christian families within Ukraine, it, it seems almost impossible today. And, and I think that's not something that is, we're not seeing that on the front page. We're not hearing that story told, but it, it, the body of Christ was really rising up and doing what God had called us to do. And we pray for a day when that would be true again. Mm. Thank you for sharing that story. That is just so powerful and praise God for that work that has happened. And, you know, I, I think that's a good reminder to pray for for that work to to carry on and to somehow be strengthened and, and all of that. So zooming out a little bit, uh, we are maybe coming out of COVID, who knows, depending on where you live, but hopefully we're entering the endemic instead of a pandemic. But we know that COVID also has had implications for vulnerable children around the world and uh, inter-country adoption. Can you kind of give give an overview of how, how COVID has impacted vulnerable children abroad and inter-country adoption? I mean, on one hand, it's been incredibly challenging because COVID has created more vulnerability. There are more children today that are you know, that are living in poverty. There are more children today that, are, that have been deprived of, of parents. There are more families that have crumbled under the pressure and so more, more social orphans that have been created as a result of the pandemic. I think one of the things that we have seen in the midst of this, though, is that uh, international adoption continues to be strong. We've, you know, once we kind of figured out how to travel and how to move safely, you know, through the pandemic, we've seen that continue. We've witnessed in, in many cases, again, indigenous movements 
that have pushed forward. We've we've seen partners of ours on the ground that are, you know, that are doing incredible work in the face of the pandemic and have stepped up in ways to, you know, to care for vulnerable children. But just honestly, I mean, I think especially when you zero in on on Eastern Europe, there is an incredible pressure that's been placed and and more vulnerability that's come to bear in the lives of children. And then you have a crisis like this, it layers on the on top of a situation that was already, you know, extremely difficult and extremely challenging. And, and so the the needs of orphans around the world are greater today than they ever have been. But and I and I think, you know, you and I, I know we're on the same page about this. Adoption is not the answer for the global orphan care crisis. Adoption is an answer. And adoption is the best solution for some children. But really, we estimate that only about one half of 1% of the children that would fall into the the biblical category of being the orphan or, or being the fatherless can even be helped through international adoption. So the solution is much more complex. We need to begin to support the church indigenously to care for these children in their own community. We need to, to work to build capacity among the nations so that so that children have the opportunity to not only to be adopted, but to be fostered, to be cared for, to be shepherded in ways that that the body of Christ is actually stepping up to do this work. And I think, you know, we we enjoy a kind of a strange circumstance here in the US that we have a child welfare system that sort of lulls us to sleep to believe that that's the work of the government first and then the church second. But in God's economy, this is the work of the church. And when we are caring for orphan and vulnerable children in, in ways that are that are honoring to God and, and in ways that, that put the gospel forward, it's sort of like, this is the illustration I use, it's sort of like going to Sam's on Saturday. You know, like my kids used to love to go to Sam's on Saturday because the sample carts, right? Like we all know that like that's the thing that you do. You know, you go sample all the all the little stuff that they have at Sam's. But Sam's didn't intend for for that to be um, the way that you make your Saturday lunch. Right. <laughs> like it's it's there so that we get a little taste of something that they hope we're going to buy a large quantity of. And and I, I sort of think of that as the illustration about the way that the church engages in orphan care, we're practically stepping into things that are directly an implication of the fall. And we're we're doing things that are corrective in the moment while at the same time speaking and telling the gospel. But we also have the privilege of being able to point to the future and to be able to say that we have confidence that there's a world coming where there will be no more orphans and there will be no more widows and there will we won't have lines drawn in the sand that we fight over things that are not ours that there's a day when Jesus will reign and all of this will be you know a shadow and a, and a memory and until that day as the church we have the responsibility to do these things that God's called us to do but to do them in a way that platforms the real hope and Chelsea I like like I love the Ukrainian people I I love I love the I love the place but I'm going to tell you, what's true today is what's been true for all of human history. The hope of Ukraine is Jesus. And where, I'm, where I believe that there's hope in the midst of the situation is the Ukrainian church is strong. And God is working through his people. And so I, you know, I know friends and pastors that are 
that are serving and, and staring death in the face in order to care for people, in order to provide for people, people that are that are bringing supplies in and resourcing communities within Ukraine in the name of Jesus, and they're and they're leveraging all of those opportunities to be able to tell people about the hope that they have in Christ. And and so I would just encourage that in what we do in orphan care, yes, there's an immediate crisis and we want children to be cared for, but we don't want to get over our skis and begin to do things that are reckless or hazardous or ultimately not in the best interest of children. And we don't want to do that for reasons of self-gratification. Because at the end of the day, this isn't about us. It's about it's about providing for these children in a way that we put Jesus on display. And so there are ways that churches can get involved. There are ways that that people can act, and and we would call them to that. We at Lifeline, we're trying to give ways to do that. And you can, you know, you can go to our website and see the things that we're doing. And we would invite you to come and join us as you know as we're trying to to help that work. But but most of all, I think adoption is not the answer in the midst of this. It's the answer for a few children and in some very specific circumstances, but it's not the long term of how we address this crisis. I appreciate that because I think these conversations can be very nuanced. And the further you walk into to this, the the more nuanced it seems to get sometimes. And and I think you're exactly right that adoption is the answer for for a very small portion of children, but there are so many other holistic ways to help and to care. So as we are kind of wrapping up, my last question to you is for people who do want to help and do want to care for, whether it's orphans and vulnerable children in the midst of conflict or the Ukrainian people or you know refugees, what are some practical ways that they can help? And then how can we be praying? How should we be praying right now? So a couple of days ago, I heard a statistic that I've not heard reported anywhere. And that is that the while we know that there are somewhere around two and a half to three million refugees now that have have found their way outside of Ukraine, that there are, there are probably between seven and eight million people in Ukraine that are displaced. So there is a larger number of people that have moved and are out of their homes and are in a position of vulnerability somewhere within Ukraine. And then there's the tremendous pressure that that's happening in the countries that surround Ukraine. And so. At Lifeline, we're working with our partners in countries that surround Ukraine to be able to provide food, clothing, and shelter in a gospel-rich environment for for families that are fleeing. And so, one of the ways that you know, frankly, I would say that that the church can rise up right now is to give and to make those efforts possible, so that we have places where displaced people are able to find immediate care. There is going to be a global solution that's going to be worked out to that refugee crisis at some point. But but then, so then what does the church do? I think we then work in building capacity among national ministries to be able to come alongside these people that have been through incredibly traumatic circumstances and to be able to care for them in ways that are trauma-sensitive and trauma-informed, but in ways that ultimately point toward the hope of the gospel. The biggest thing that we have to bring to this conflict is not our ability to feed or to clothe or to shelter people, although all of those things are good and we should do them. The biggest thing that we have to bring is still the hope of the gospel. And so helping indigenous believers and for those that are mobilizing into these places to serve, helping them to have the tools to know how to encounter people that have experienced deep trauma and helping them to 
to know how to how to work to help those people to process and to heal from the trauma, but to do that through the lens of the gospel. Because at the end of the day, if all we do is help people to be safe and help them to resolve the feelings and the hurt and the scars that have been caused by this conflict, if we do all of that, but we don't point them to the larger reality that Christ died for them and that ultimately they have an opportunity to have peace with God, then we really haven't done a whole lot. And so, um, you know, we're uh, and and one of the, one of the places I'll point out just kind of a quick story of of the way. So in Romania, in Fagoras, Romania, we have a partner who has a facility that traditionally has been used for orphans who are transitioning. Um, into independent adulthood. And so they're taking kids that are graduating out of orphanages. And that facility has been empty during the pandemic because the Romanian government would not allow them to operate because of the challenges of COVID. That facility was still empty the day that the war broke out in Ukraine. And so there are now 25 people, several families that are living in that facility and, and being cared for by the Romanian church. An organization that we partner with called ARFO, Romania Without Orphans, is mobilizing across the country churches that are that are beginning to receive refugees. And, and so literally churches are swinging their doors open and they're converting their classrooms and their sanctuaries into housing facilities to care for refugees. And, and so in the immediacy, give to reputable ministries that can mobilize both to help the immediate needs, food, clothing, and shelter, but also to meet the emotional and spiritual needs of the people that are fleeing. And then in the long term, let's invest in building capacity within the church to be able to be about this work. We're, we're As I said, we're doing that at Lifeline. If you go to lifelinechild.org, there's a pop-up that comes up right there on our website that takes you directly to the page that talks about the things that we're doing in and around Ukraine and in our ability to both to send supplies into Ukraine and to provide for people that are still there, but then also to care for the refugees that have been able to get out. Well, that is extraordinarily um, encouraging to see Lifeline, but also so many, like you said, reputable partner organizations on the ground. And to see the church being the church globally is just incredibly faith building. And I think, you know, something you said um, in a a great place to end this episode is that we have the hope of Revelation 21, that one day all sorrow will end. And, you know, in the midst of incredibly difficult things as a Christian that gives us hope. And you're exactly right that we need to be bringing the hope of the gospel everywhere we go and with with everything we do. So Dr. Rick, thank you for joining me and for, for your ministry and for bringing the hope of the gospel through your work at Lifeline. Thank you, my dear friend. It's been my great pleasure to be with you. This is Capital Conversations, an ERLC podcast from Washington, D.C., If you enjoyed today's show, send a link to this podcast to a friend or family member in your community. Be sure to subscribe to Capital Conversations so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a rating and review to help others find the show. Resources from today's episode are available in the show notes and at ERLC.com. And in addition to listening to Capital Conversations, be sure to check out our other ERLC podcasts. 
The Digital Public Square airs every Monday and its host is Jason Thacker, who is one of the leading voices on technology and culture. The ERLC podcast is our flagship show and airs every Friday. Lindsay and Brent give a rundown of what the ERLC has been working on that week, including updates on our work in Washington, D.C. Search for the Digital Public Square and the ERLC podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Capital Conversations is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted and produced by Chelsea Sobler. Technical production is provided by Owens Productions. It is edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we look forward to being back together with you next time. Bye.